Welcome to episode 17 of Bish's Talk with Benny P. This is part two of my interview with my good friend, Mike Mastriani. In this episode, we talked about some of Mike's experiences doing medical mission trips down to the country of Honduras and about the nonprofit organization he developed down there. And uh, after listening about Mike's uh, nonprofit organization he created from our conversation in this episode, I spoke with him about having Action for Education become Vicious Talk's first sponsor. Mike's the founder and president of Action for Education, an organization that works to create affordable, accessible, and sustainable opportunities for education in Western Honduras. Their mission is centered around capacity building and using resources from the United States to enable Honduran communities to succeed in their own way. Action for Education is always looking for more help. They're currently seeking individuals to join their team to accompany them on medical mission trips. It's a fantastic opportunity for students interested in pre-medical studies to experience the positive impacts medical clinics can have for people in impoverished areas of the world. For more information, contact Mike and his team at info at action, the number four education.org. And if you don't have time to join Mike and his team on a medical mission trip, there are a number of other ways you can help as well. To learn more, visit action, the number four education.org and consider donating to their cause. Every dollar helps. Now, with that being said, let's join Mike and I for episode 17 of vicious talk with Benny P. Thanks for listening. topics I, I'm excited to talk to you about is I don't really know too much about this with you but um, I, I've noticed from kind of st- observing you from from a distance on social media and we're still friends on on, on a regular basis t- typically and uh, you had a great experience it looked like studying abroad in, in Honduras uh, I did yeah for sure it's yeah. definitely been a life experience that, that looked really awesome for you um, can you tell like my listeners about that experience and what you kind of accomplished down there yeah, for sure. I mean, so I, I started this as a, well, I started going to Honduras as a freshman at Holy Cross. Uh, we had a student group. It was called Medical Ministry International, so just a student, a regular student club. Uh, and we pretty much had uh, assembled a bunch of Holy Cross students who were interested in going on a medical mission trip to Honduras. Um, so you had to apply for it and everything. I got in uh, and then went as a freshman, a summer after freshman year. And like I said earlier, too, I was going through a tough time and just kind of seeing everything down there, uh, seeing how much these people struggled, but at the same time, we're so happy. That, that really touched me just because, like, I mean, these people literally would have, you know, five pieces of plywood pushed up against each other, and that was their home for their family. You know, it was like no, no hot water, no clean water, no, you know, anything sanitary. It was just a really difficult life. But then they would come into our clinic, and they would just be – you know, so happy for for having nothing, and it would it really touched me to see that. And I remember asking someone, uh, this old older lady, because she was just not she would not stop smiling, and it was it was awesome to see. And I just asked her, you know, why why are you so happy? And I I speak broken Spanish, so I had a translator do it for me. Um, but she told she told me that you know I have God and I have my family, and it was just that simple for her, and that was really powerful to me to kind of see see that when I was going through a tough time myself and it made my kind of my my problems that I was going through seem pretty minuscule compared to theirs and kind of gave me a newfound love 
uh, for medicine again, to be honest, because I didn't know if I wanted to be a doctor after my freshman year anymore. Uh, and it kind of gave me back that dream. So I've always felt kind of indebted to Honduras and the people there uh, just because they gave me my dream back. Uh, so when I was down there, it was the, the next year I went back with our student group. So it was after sophomore year. And I became really good friends with this guy named Jorge. Um, he was the director of the trip in Honduras. So he, he lived in San Pedro Sula, Honduras, uh, which is a pretty bad area. I mean, it's, it used to have the highest murder rate in the world up until I think about two years ago. So it's a really, really tough area. Um, just and It's just based mainly off drugs and cartels and uh, the lack of opportunity, the lack of uh, educational opportunities, lack of job opportunities, just the stereotypical factors that lead uh, to the to the pretty bad violence they have there. Um, and so Jorge told me about how he's trying to open a school in his in his community that never had a school that didn't previously have a school. So there was over like over hundreds of hundreds of kids who just did not have a public school to go to. The government so the could not provide it. Yeah, and it's it's pretty screwed up because um, free edu- public education there is only free until the fifth grade. And if your family is making a dollar fifty a day, um, that's the average wage there. There's there's no incentive to send your kid to school because they can't get more than a fifth grade education. And so it's they just have their kids either work in the fields or work around the house, or just something to help them contribute to to the breadwinning of the family. Uh, so it's there's really a lot of a disincentive to go to school there and then you add in the just the cool factor of the gangs there and i mean it's it's pretty screwed up because they, they take advantage of you know in most cases young kids you know teenagers and maybe even younger and prey on them because they know that their family is really poor and that this could be their way to make money for their family and they confuse them into into joining these these gangs um, also, just for the sense of brotherhood, you know, the sense of having someone who cares for you. But at the same time, you know, when push comes to shove, they, they don't care for you. And they, you know, they can obviously you know, hurt you at any time when you're in that kind of business, right? Yeah. So it's pushing back against that stigma. Um, but Jorge was trying to open this school, and he wasn't able to. The government just kept giving him little obstacles, saying, you know, well, first you gotta find teachers, then you gotta find students, then you gotta get all the accreditation, and he did all of that. And then they finally told him the only way we're gonna support your school is if you build it all yourself. And Jorge, you know, he he, he couldn't do that. He couldn't. He didn't have the, the the financial resources to do that. And so he told me this all all one night after after a uh, after a clinic day we had. Me and him were. I love foosball, and I I think I'm really good at foosball, then. But so after the day of the clinic, there's like a little fair, and there's a foosball tournament going on. And Jorge asked me, you know, do you play foosball? And I was trying to be, you know, pretty modest and say, yeah, I do. Like knowing that I'm pretty good back back in the states at least. And so I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll play. Thinking like, there's no way this guy is gonna beat me. And Jorge was the best foosball player. I I mean I don't I haven't seen many foosball players, but I cannot. <laughs> imagine anyone being this good at foosball ever in my life like he's got to be one of the top foosball players in the world he, I, I couldn't score on him so it was crazy to me so then after he's like all right you owe me a drink and so he went to like this local lounge 
I guess it's I guess you can call it a bar for the lack of a better word, but it's, it's a different kind of vibe than you get from the United States. It's more like uh, kind of like a sophisticated drinking. It's more you're sitting there talking. It's not like you're partying, going crazy, you know. So me and him were just sitting there. And we talked about everything with the school, and I finally just told him like I just promised him right in the spot, uh, Jorge, let's let's build the school. Like, how what do I do? Uh, you know, how what do I have to do to help you build the school? And we just pretty much set an initial goal of raising ten thousand uh, dollars to build this public school for for him and his community. And you know, I, I promised him right in the spot. I didn't think it was, to be honest, I didn't think ten thousand dollars was that much money. I I knew it was a lot of money, but I you know I'm I never tried to raise that large of a sum of money before, so I really didn't understand what went into raising that kind of money for donations. So the first couple months, um, I really struggled to raise the money. I think I raised only like five hundred dollars. And I only had two months left to build the school in order for it to start uh, on February 1st, which is when the Honduran calendar year starts for school. Uh, so I knew I was, you know, time was ticking. And I pretty much told Jorge right then and there, after two months of starting that $500, like 100 was from my mom, 100 from my dad, 100 from my sister, and 50 from my grandparents. And that was pretty much it. So I didn't really raise money from anyone else outside of my family after working pretty hard for two months. And so I was pretty discouraged and just told Jorge, you know, listen, man, like I'm, I'm doing my best here. Like I sent out all these letters to people, you know, emailed hundreds of people. And I'm just not getting that much traction and just told him, I felt really bad telling him this, but I told him, like, I don't know if this is going to work. Let me go. And I, I told him that. And he just goes, Mike, listen to me. Like God is on our side. I'll never forget this combo. He just goes, Mike, God is on our side. Like I have no doubt this is going to happen. It has nothing to do with me or you. It's just he is working through us right now, and he is going to make this happen for us. And, you know, whether you're religious or not, it was just crazy because he's obviously, Jorge is obviously very religious, and a lot of Hondurans are devout devout Catholics or Christians there. I mean, the religion's huge, obviously, uh, down there. So he's obviously a very religious man. But you know, every time he would tell me that, it would just be weird because it felt like a miracle would happen. So like, I told, I had that combo with him, and he just sent him the initial five hundred dollars I had, and all he did was he put like used that five hundred dollars I sent him to just lay like a few concrete blocks around, kind of get like the the basis of the foundation down for the school, and then sent me some pictures of him and his and the rest of the community working together to build this, and I I was like all right I'll see what I can do with these pictures, post it on Facebook. And within two days of him telling me that God's going to make this happen for us, and after me struggling for two months to raise any sort of money, I just randomly raised $1,500 from a, one Facebook post. Wow. And I was like, wow. Like, it kind of just, like, just woke me up. Like, oh, my God. Like, maybe, you know, something something is behind this. Or So this is I, all I knew was this is much bigger than me at this point. So I knew I had to stick with it. And every other time we've hit, you know, any sort of roadblock, and I would come to him with it, he would say the same thing to me, like, God's on our side, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, he's going to do this for us, awesome. and every damn time, something crazy would happen, so it's been a humbling experience, so after, you know, after we finished the construction of the, of the school on January 31st, which was the day before we were supposed to start classes, so it really felt like, you know, someone was overseeing the construction of this project with us. So it's it's been a hell of a ride. Now we're in we have three years of classes now. 
Uh, we've had we have over 350 students at our public school too. Uh, we started this nonprofit organization called Action for Education. It started with a couple of buddies at Holy Cross, uh, you know, them Carl and Mike Jeremiah. So I started it with them, and now we're we're just doing a bunch of things now, and I, I absolutely love it. But it's yeah, been great, man. Yeah, that's really yeah. Cool. So yeah, especially what, with uh with pre with pre med kids too. I think this kind of experience is is amazing just because. I started doing these mission trips as a pre-med experience and being able to uh, see the kind of things that we see down there. We see polio down there. You're, that's supposed to be eradicated, you know. Yeah. But we see pretty crazy things down there. So I think that experience has really propelled me to, to medical school, to be honest, just because everything I was able to do with it. Uh, I think people can definitely do the same and just need to pursue it um, do the little things that people don't want to do, like send 100 emails, you know, call people you don't want to call. Uh, it's just things like that you get just just got to pursue, you know. That's really cool. That's inspirational, you know, that kind of stuff. Thanks, man. Um, so, I mean, you were part of this huge program, I guess, this really impactful thing in, in Honduras. And Honduras is not really usually strongly considered for, for students trying to look at abroad programs. And, and they're always looking at, like, vacation-type cities in, like, Europe or maybe Asia or Australia. But... What was, kind sure. of, what was kind of your motivation for looking at this, this program with Honduras? Was it just kind of like the pre-med stuff you were talking about, or was there kind of any other draw that kind of had you looking at this this, this program for you? Yeah, so I think, I mean, a lot of it stems, to be honest, with the pre-med stuff, for sure. But at the same time, I knew, you know, traveling to Honduras versus traveling to, you know, European country, I think the need in Honduras is obviously going to be much greater. So I knew going into that that That's I'm going to get much more out of this because – I'm going to be able to see a lot more. The, the efforts that I'm making are actually going to make, you know, a real impact. I think about it. I was able, you know, with, with Jorge and the general, the, the, the generous donations I've received, uh, I was able to build a school for just $10,000. Like, what can you get for $10,000 in the United States? I mean, you can get, you know, a couple desks maybe, you know. <laughs> so, so just the, the, the cost impact of what you're really donating to, is much higher in these countries like Honduras versus uh, more developed countries. And that's not to say, you know, these developed countries don't have issues or anything like that. That's obviously not what I'm saying at all. There's, I've had this personal connection to Honduras uh, that I really wanted to give back to them awesome. and knew the people that made it possible for me to do that. Uh, but with with these, like, international programs, I think the common questions are, I think a lot of, people, a lot of families feel comfortable sending their kids to European countries, you know, just because there's, you know, they're not, worried about i mean there's a travel warning right now in Honduras, so there's, they're not worried about uh their kid as much and i totally understand that it's a totally viable concern yeah. uh, because if you do look at the stats on honduras or any of those um high crime countries and they they don't look pretty and you if you look at them behind the keyboard they sound like horror stories all the time and I think, I think the reality of it is it's pretty much the same as any city. You know, if you go to uh, any city in the United States, you don't want to walk alone. You don't, you know, you don't want to be alone in an alleyway. You always want to be, you know, around people. You always want to be careful. Obviously, you don't you don't want to flaunt your your jewelry or anything like that. So it's just it's just common kind of common city etiquette uh, to kind of get through the and navigate these countries. But I don't, you know, I really had to, you know, the first time I went to Honduras, you know, I. Couldn't, I couldn't call my parents for the first, you know, few hours because we get to Honduras, 
immediately from the airport in Honduras, we we would travel about five six hours on bus to where we we were, where we would help hold the clinic, and we didn't have service, <laughs> so yeah. I couldn't call my parents for the first you know half day I was there, and finally I get service in the hotel. We when we landed when we got back from the bus trip, and I have twenty voicemails from my mom, progressing from literally you know hi Mike how are you oh checking. God the last voicemail she's crying hysterically madly threatening like literally telling me she's calling homeland security right now to make sure you know i didn't get kidnapped or something and i'm like I, I call her back finally mom what are you doing I'm like I'm, I'm totally fine we just didn't have we just didn't have service for a little bit so i i totally understand the, the oh, safety man. side of it so when our, our organization whenever we send like whenever we our organization also does medical service trips too uh, so we send our, our, our own teams down to Honduras. But whenever we do this, we always make sure we cooperate with the local authorities and let them know we're coming. And they've always been, you know, amazing to us. I mean, we, we have police around all, at all times. Uh, and that it's not, I don't even think it's necessary, to be honest, because I've never felt in danger there. And I'm usually the one who likes to wander around. Even, and I I'm, I never feel, feel endangered. Yeah. Um, I really don't think people should should be turned off by that aspect of it because there's so many precautions you can take and anything can happen anywhere nowadays. Um, and the amount you can see in these developing countries like Honduras, um, it's, it's indescribable to be honest. Yeah. It's definitely something that uh, has helped motivate me and helped make me a better person, I think. So I've gotten so much out of this and, you know, I, a lot of people are saying, you know, you've done so much as well, but at the same time, I think I've gotten so much more returns than I've given any, any hunter. Um, just, they, they, they gave me back my life is how I look at it. So I really, I'm really indebted to them. That's awesome. Yeah, man. It feels like from my perception, it looks like kind of being able to look at some of these third world countries and, and visiting them and can really have a bigger impact. I feel like than than studying in like maybe like Madrid or I don't know, Barcelona or something. Because, I, I mean, I feel like being able to see people who, like you said, that woman said she was smiling and coming to your clinic and she just was happy that she had God in her family. It's as simple as that for these people, you know, and it's like Very simple. Yep. problems are so subjective in life. And it's just like when you when you see someone who just is so content with so with so little and her life is just so simple and she's able to kind of just break it down and to appreciate what she does have. Um, I think that's kind of like a, the major takeaway that you could get from places like this, you know? Exactly, 100%, man. I mean, it's just that, that kind of interaction. You'll never forget it. I mean, there's so many people down there that I've met that I'm lifelong friends with. You know, I keep in contact with them regularly. I have a I have a godchild in Honduras. <laughs> so I, have, I have a lot of people that I'm very close with down there. And it, and they're all they're, they're just very similar people to you at the same time. Like that's the, the other beautiful part is that you talk to the teenagers there and they have the same sort of drama that I experienced in high school, middle school, and middle school, you know. So they're going through the same kind of, um, I guess, teenage drama and pressures that you know I was experiencing growing up. But on on added added on to that, they also have just basic necessity issues, like worrying about you know feeding themselves or getting clean water and all this. And what we'll have, you know, in our clinics, we'll have some you know young teenage girls come in. And like, I'm talking like 16-year-olds, like 16, 17-year-olds come into our clinic and they have two or three kids already. And you're like, whoa, like oh. how, how is that possible? It's a real, and you can just tell like the amount of pain they've been through. 
because you would imagine if they're having two or three kids that, you know, they're probably not happy with um, probably their relationships. Doesn't, it sounds like it was forced upon them in, in my eyes. Yeah. Um, so it was not a good thing to, to see and to see someone be that beaten up over something we couldn't cure them with a the medication for, you know? So, but, but the, the interactions I've had with those people have been so special. I mean, they, if you just tell them that they, you know, that they have a nice shirt, that just a simple compliment to them, uh, to these girls. And that, that really changes their, their mentality. You know, it just, it, because they've never experienced maybe love or compassion in their lives before. So when we go down there, we're from the United States, and we're random strangers, and we give them this compassion and this uh, this sense of belonging, I guess, um, it really does a lot for them. It, it does things outside of what our medications can do. And so I think just interacting with them down there really goes a, far, a long, long ways. Um, I mean, I, I can tell you this quick story about this this one man I met, I don't know if you have time for that, but yeah, go ahead. yeah, so yeah, so I think it was, this was my first time down in Honduras. There's a man named Mingo, and he was a uh, was homeless, and so our team was doing a a home visit one at one time, and when they were just driving and down Honduras, a lot of people just ride in the beds of trucks. So you know, there's someone driving the truck, and there's a bunch of us in the bed of the truck. Uh, while we're driving, our, making our home visit, we just see Mingo, this this beggar on the side of the road, laying in the, in the dirt with an obvious trail of feces surrounding him. And so it was obvious that this guy was not in good shape. And we we stopped the, the truck and, you know, kind of canceled our home visit for that for the time being and took, took Mingo in and put him on the truck and brought him back to our clinic. And then, you know, once, he, once I got closer to him, it was pretty obvious he had some serious issues just because – his body was contorted. Uh, it looked like he had cerebral palsy or something along those lines. He, he was just, just skin and bone. I mean, literally, he had no muscle or fat on him because uh, he just looked starved. And, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you have these crusts in your eyes, and you usually wipe them off. Since his body was contorted, he couldn't do that for himself. So his, his eyes were literally crusted shut from whatever, you know, whatever mucus it is on your eyelids when you wake up. And so he was, and I've never seen someone in that physical state before. And I don't think I would ever see something that severe in the United States. Um, so I, I was baffled by the sight of this man. And well, I, I, I looked at him and thought, wow, this must be the worst moment in his life. Like we literally stripped him naked, was cleaning his whole body off of his own, of his own bodily fluids. So I, I'm just imagining this as being so embarrassing for him, just so, uh, just such a bad moment. And he starts, I'm holding his head while the nurses and the doctors we had were kind of cleaning him up and doing their assessment of him. I was just holding his head. Um, and he just started crying. I see tears come from his eyes. And I'm think I start tearing up too because I'm like, wow, this, I'm thinking, like I said, I thought this was the worst moment of his life. And I thought I was seeing it play out. And then he finally just starts chanting in Spanish. And then I realized he's not crying. He's actually laughing. And I'm like, what? And I, I, I asked the translator, I'm like, you know, what, what's, what's going on here? And Mingo, the, the homeless man we were taking care of, he just starts chanting in Spanish. You know, God is, you know, these guys have saved me. God sent these angels down to, 
to help me and was just so happy. And it was the best moment of his life, not the worst moment. He just started crying. And I'm, I'm crying hysterically now because I realize it's of happiness. And me and him struck up a good relationship because, you know, we had a bunch of college girls from Holy Cross with us. And so he was he was waving at all the girls. And I'm, I told him, I was like, <laughs> I'm like, Mingo, they they just told me that you were the best-looking patient we've had all day. Uh, he just started cracking up after that. And it was it was just amazing to see him smile like that. Uh, so I'll never forget Mingo. We ended up raising our group, just kind of put together enough money uh, to put him in a nursing home. Obviously, he had really severe medical issues, um, and he ended up passing away after, you know, about a year we met him. In the nursing home, though, not as a beggar. Uh, so I think and we even talked to the staff of the nursing home and they told us that he was just so happy. I gave him a bunch of my clothes and he was always wearing it around. Um, so just giving him that, maybe maybe that sense of dignity or that compassion back in his life uh, before he passed away is something that I'm going to forever cherish. Um, and I, Mingo is always one of the first people I think of when I think of Honduras. And so he really he really helped me. Uh, become a better person. He he lives on through you know, all that we were able to do down there. That's so I'm really appreci- appreciate it. Yeah, Mingo. Yeah, yeah, good old Mingo. He was, he was a man. He was, he was rocking. His, <laughs> how old, we, how we, old was he about? He was, uh, he was definitely in his 80s. So it's pretty amazing oh, wow. that he made it that that to that old, to be honest. Because we, we visited where he was supposed to be staying uh, when we picked him up. And he literally lived in like a dog cage, man. Like... I mean, I, it pissed me off, to be honest, because I, I cannot understand how people can let a man live in a legit dog crate, dog crate when he was obviously in serious, serious, serious medical conditions. So yeah. it was pretty it was pretty tough for me, too, at the same time. But I needed to see it, and it definitely woke me up to a lot of things. So I, I'm happy, so happy for the, for the experience. Yeah, those are the kind of experiences that really open your eyes in, in life and everything, so... That's pretty For cool. sure, man. Definitely changed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. That's good to hear, man. You you had quite the experience down in, the, in Honduras, and are you planning on going back anytime soon, or th- thinking about um, what what your next trip might be? Yeah, definitely, man. So now with our nonprofit organization, it's kind of cool because now, I, you know, our organization uh, is running these trips instead of a different organization, so I'm more in control of uh, kind of the the logistics of it, which is really nice because just. The, when you go through other bigger international organizations like I went to, uh, went through as a freshman and sophomore in Holy Cross, they they have a lot of you know administrative costs like people are making salaries, you know. So a lot of your trip fee uh, that you pay ends up going to someone's salary, and I don't like that aspect of it. Uh, so the good thing is with our you know Action for Education, my nonprofit organization that I started with, you know my friends. Uh, we were able to get rid of those administrative costs because none of us make a salary. It's 100% volunteer. So all that money that you're paying for your trip fee, which is it is an expensive experience. It's, about, it's a $1,300 trip fee for a week, and that's cheap, to be honest. That's really cheap for uh, a medical mission trip like this. Uh, it's honestly the cheapest I know of, um, and we made it that purpose. So we're planning on going again in March uh, for a week at uh, medical clinic. Uh, we're, we usually go to rural areas in Honduras, so we'll set up uh, pretty much at the basic primary care clinics. So we'll have a triage station with nurses and all that. 
where we take vitals, you know, blood pressure, heart rate, height, weight, you know, allergies, all that stuff. And then we also have, you know, obviously our doctor stations with MAC, our doctors. We also have a dentist on staff and usually an optometrist as well. So we get, we give them the whole nine yards. We get the whole medical care, dental care, and eye care at the same time. So we try to do as much as we can. We have local pastors that are with us too. Um, and Jorge, who's, who's the head of our trip operations now uh, with Action for Education as well, he is a, he's also a uh, preacher too. Uh, like I said, he's very religious, and they're also religious down there. So if they do have, you know, serious issues such as, you know, the kind of the teenage girl example I brought up where they're, they're not happy and it's not anything to do with medication, it's more emotionally, um, then they talk to, you know, the pastor or Jorge or someone just to get that kind of emotional support as well. So we, we really focus on holistic medicine and providing longitudinal care as well because a lot of these short-term clinics will just kind of put a Band-Aid on the situation. But with our organization, what we changed, uh, which is something I'm really proud of, is we were able to make a referral system with local hospitals and clinics now too in Honduras. So if we have someone coming with diabetes or really high blood pressure that obviously requires constant follow-up, we're able to refer them now to these clinics or these hospitals to go back there for follow-up care when previously with the other organization I used to go through, that wasn't a thing. Um, so it's, it, we've, we've been able to make some pretty good improvements on, on the whole model as well. Uh, so we're going back in March. And then we usually go back in summer too at the end of July, beginning of August for two weeks. Um, so yeah, if you or any of your listeners are interested, definitely let me know and we will we'll, uh, we'll get it. Where can they reach you? Do you have, have a website for your nonprofit? Yeah, for sure. We have a website. It's www.action, the number four, education.org. Cool. Yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll leave that in the comments or something so um, if anybody's really interested in, in something like this. Right. It sounds like it's quite the yeah. experience for, yeah. for young individuals. So. Yeah, it's amazing, for sure. So appreciate it, bro. Sure. Um, Thank you, man. And uh, so, Mike, man, we've been talking for almost an hour. This is a lot of fun catching up, man. Blue by, yeah, man. Definitely blue by. <laughs> hey, I wanted, to, I wanted to mention to you, um, you're uh, you're a Yankees fan, so uh, they, oh. had good, they had a good playoff run, man. They were they were threatening. Oh my god, to get man! That World it was one of the best, one of the best experiences. I thought. I mean, they obviously fell short, but I was really pumped all year just because I mean, I'm a diehard Yankee. I know you know that I'm a diehard Yankee fan. A lot of people were talking crap about them, saying the weather's going to be good this year. And I, I kind of knew in the back of my head, I knew they were young, but I knew they were really talented too. So I didn't really speak much. I did to a couple of Red Sox fan friends that I have. But I told them, I'm feeling pretty good about this team. And they kind of just made all my dreams come true. You know, I obviously would have loved if they won the World Series. I actually had a, uh, a bet with one of my other friends from Holy Cross that on, I was going to get a Yankee tattoo if they won the World Series, but I guess I, I gave myself that that embarrassment for now, I guess. But yeah. I think it's around the corner. I think it's around the corner. Yeah, man. they have quite the young core there. <laughs> yeah, they, they, I could go on for, for hours about that, man. Yeah, I love I love the whole thing. <laughs> Judge, Judge won the Rookie of the Year unanimously yesterday. He did? Yeah. I think he should win every I, I I like Altuve, too, so I would never have a problem with Altuve winning it. I think he was more consistent than Judge all year. But I just think, I mean, man, Judge just changes that entire lineup. He's, like, Yeah, he's a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> kind of 
physical talent at the very least, man. You don't see a lot of people with that kind of with those kind of tools come into the into baseball very often, for sure. Exactly, and then when you look at the analytics, he he edges, usually edges out Altuve most of the analytics by a little bit, not a lot, so it's definitely close. And then I know there's the consistency argument with Altuve, but at the same time, I think when you're a pitcher and you have Aaron Judge in the on deck circle, you're pitching that entire you know first couple batters, first couple batters after Judge too, differently than how you're pitching to anyone else. So I think Dutch just has that, that added alert and kind of intimidation factor that like I think Poppy had in Boston or yeah, something sure. like that that really changes the whole lineup. So yeah, I, those I are think the kind of players, sort of, yeah, those are the kind of players you dream of for your for your hometown crab, your hometown team. That was the face of Pepsi now too, so he's doing well. <laughs> he's he's gonna be he's gonna be the face of New York for for quite some time if he stays there for a while. <laughs> and Porzingis, I think it's gonna <laughs> yeah. be Porzingis the king of New York. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I love it. I'm, it's a good time being a Yankee fan or, or a New York fan, I guess, in general right now. Yeah. I mean, LA's doing good too, though. Yeah. The, uh, the, Knicks, the Knicks are finally like a team again. Like they, I, don't know, I, I know. Like, I like Carmelo, but it was it was probably best that he left because the team kind of like looks like they're kind of united at least. They're not very For good, sure. but they they at least like care about each other. Exactly. I mean, I, I love Carmelo too. I, I know a lot of my other friends are the Knicks fans too, like Carmelo, but. I think everyone kind of knew towards the end, but we got to get rid of him. And they actually got, I mean, they got Cantor, who's playing pretty good for him, and yeah. McDermott, who just looks like the McDermott of college, of the college basketball, when you won National Player of the Year, it kind of looks good again. Yeah. So they, they did well. I, 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 they play hard, and they kind of let Kristaps flourish. So and I'm a big Kristaps fan, too. So oh, who can be? Kristaps and, and uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo for the Bucks. Those two guys yeah. are like, Physical freaks, like they're they're oh, everybody else on the court. I know that. I mean, we're freaking seven foot plus. You know, right. you can do everything on the floor. And he dribbles like a point guard. To... Shoots, <laughs> shoots from the logo. <laughs> I don't even know how you can guard him. It's crazy. I, yeah. I mean, you just got to be physical with him right now. He still still need to put some weight on, but he, he beefed up a bit. But yeah. you put some weight on, he'll, he'll still get pushed around a little bit. But he's close. He's real close to me. Yeah. Top flight. I think this offseason is going to be interesting to see. I think LeBron's gone from from Cleveland. I think he's I think he's leaving. Um, I'm with you. But I think he's going to LA. I think the two options that the favorite's definitely LA at the moment. The Lakers are, are ten. Yeah. I think that. Are you a Lakers fan? No, I'm I'm a Clippers fan. I'm one of those weird LA fans that likes the Clippers and the Angels instead of no, the Lakers like that. and the Dodgers. <laughs> but um, I think LeBron's going to consider New York, dude. Because. I know. I think the only reason he's, he won't is because he hates Dolan and he hates what the Knicks did exactly. to Melo. Yeah, exactly. If it wasn't for that, I think that could be his number one spot. Yeah, but because so the, the, because the, the, the comparisons to Jordan for, for LeBron are, are – are, he's never going to be better than Jordan talent-wise, I don't think. But the, the career, the overall career LeBron's putting together is probably the best ever in sports because he's in his 15th exactly. season. And I think that's what he realizes too. He's yeah. not going at it. He knows his prime isn't going to probably top Jordan's, and he's probably not. He's obviously never going to be six for six in the finals. But if he has twenty plus years in the NBA where he's a top five, top ten player, like it's pretty hard to deny that he had the best. That he was the best basketball player ever at that point. Exactly. That's obviously projecting, you know, obviously a few years out. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think right now he's better than Jordan, and I think it's going to take a couple titles for me personally. For him to be better than Jordan, well, I think it, but I'm not those Jordan homers that thinks it's impossible for LeBron to 
to pass him eventually. And I think he could. It's definitely possible in my eyes. Well, I think that I think he's going to consider New York for that same reason because I think that the Knicks are now after the Cubs won the World Series. Um, I think that the Knicks are the next sports franchise that people are really anticipating that next championship. For you know, for sure, it's good because they got rid of Jackson, but I don't know if it'll be quick enough for them to kind of resolve everything, especially with him already taking shots in the next this past game. (laughs) It'll be tough. It might be tough for that, but I think LA kind of offers them the same kind of uh, appeal a little bit that New York does. I mean, they got a good squad there. I, I, Lonzo isn't shooting good, but I, I kind of like his game. I think he'll keep getting better. It's got a nice young core. That you can kind of grow old with, yeah. but I, that's what that's the problem with this team right now. I think it's they're just too old. Yeah, they can't run with Golden State or anyone else. Yeah, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 looking interesting the the sports landscape in New York, but for sure, yeah. I'm pumped. <laughs> I enjoyed I enjoyed catching up with you though, Mike. That was a that's a great you, conversation. You too, Benny. For sure, my man. I appreciate it. I love your podcast too, brother. I appreciate it. I. uh I was glad to have you on, and I was excited to kind of talk about all those experiences in medical school and the pre-med studies and the Honduras experience. So, uh, yeah, man, I'd love to love to have you on um, in the future, maybe to talk about some of your uh, your med school and how it's going and everything like that. Yeah, maybe if you have sure. developments for your uh, nonprofit and everything. Yeah, man, I'd definitely love to, hundred percent. For sure. All right, man. all right, bro. You ready to wrap it up? All right. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that's gonna wrap it up here. Um, on Vicious Talk with Benny P. Thanks for coming on, Mike. Appreciate it. All right, have a good one. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. So that's a wrap for Episode 17 of Vicious Talk with Benny P. I'd like to thank Mike Mastriani once again for joining me for this episode. I really enjoyed our talk, and uh, I'm glad that uh, he was able to get some word out on his nonprofit organization, Action for Education, and I'm happy to have them as the first sponsor of the podcast. Now, thank you all for listening and continue to subscribe to the podcast here on SoundCloud.com slash Vicious Talk. So now just go out, have a great day, and always remember to be vicious. Vicious.